Hey, hey, coming in hot, hot, hot. Lisa shares her financial tips and strategies to build wealth, have fun with finances, and be debt-free without having a restrictive budget. From bankrupt to millionaire, Lisa knows what it's like to feel as if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Her unconventional money multiplier system is the very wealth protocol that enabled her to retire two and a half years early, pay down $100,000 of debt in six months, and move to her dream home at the beach. Welcome to this episode of I Date Money. I'm your hostess, Lisa Drennan, and today we have another beautiful, amazing guest, Sally Gimmick. She, she really fascinates me because she is all about trust. And when I worked at Social Security Administration, I was a trust cadre and spent a lot of hours reviewing trust and making sure they conform to the laws of the of the Supplemental Security Income Program that Social Security Administration ran. And it always amazed me to see like all the intricacies and people who receive these huge amounts of money from different types of lawsuits or inheritances, however they may have received it, and they created this plan, you know, because they wanted to retain that multi-million dollar status, right? And this is one of the avenues in which someone can do this. So if you are, you know, wanting to be a millionaire, a multi-millionaire, and you need a safe way to pass your money on to somebody, you definitely want to tune in and share um, this episode with anyone you know that would, is thinking about estate planning, final expense planning, and all of that. So Sally was motivated to become a real estate investor when her mom became sick in October of 2018. At age 53, she began to make changes quickly. Always a good time, that midlife, Right. She has been an insurance agent for 20 years and has used her experience to make positive changes. Now she shares her information weekly in her real estate group and win-win woman TV. In in July of 2020, she bought a bank-owned property for $20,000 that went to auction for $50 when COVID restrictions lifted. What a great gain that was. Um, and she's gotten into this, this real estate thing. So we have a lot in common. I was in the real estate business. I, I'm an independent insurance broker. So I, I love that um, we have a lot of similarities. So tell us, Sally, um, first of all, thank you for sharing this space with us in your time. Tell us, what's your earliest childhood memory when it comes to meeting money, the very first time you met money? Thank you, Lisa, for having me on. My first memory, I was five years old. Um, we were at the dentist's office and I saw a lemonade stand. Couldn't read at the time, but I'm like, mom, I want to buy this lemonade stand. So she agreed. She would pay the $10. Um, you're much younger than I am, but there used to be these bank books, you know, for every month. So she put the $10 in there. We were living in Pittsburgh, right next to Three River Stadium in townhouses. The, uh, the person who ran the townhouses, there were all these different townhouses. They wouldn't allow me to sell the lemonade. Because if I did that, Girl Scout cookies, you know, things like this. I don't know how Mr. Art Rooney, the owner of the Steelers, found out about my dilemma. My next door neighbor, he was Joe Green, not mean Joe Green. There were three Joe Greens on the Pittsburgh Steelers at the time. But Mr. Rooney came to the townhouse door, knocked on the door. My mom, who's from Ireland, didn't even know who he was. He's like, you're the only person in Pittsburgh who doesn't know me. So he goes, I would like your daughter, if you approve this, to come on uh, Saturday afternoon after practice and sell the lemonade to our players as they come out of spring training. My granddad, who lived in Pittsburgh, was 
so happy. He's like, I'll drive her. I'll get, he got all these autographs. And my next door neighbor, Joe Green was a defensive end. He was six foot eight, huge black man and the nicest person you've ever met. So he's standing over there saying, come buy, buy lemonade, buy lemonade. I had to pay my brother $5 to work with me. Uh, my mom made me pay my granddad uh, money, $5 also. And at the end of the day, counting all the money that I made from the football players, it was $168 after all my expenses were paid for. I, five years old, pigtails. I was wearing a patch because of my eyesight, things like this. Amazing time. I, I don't know if you ever made that much money as a kid. We put the, the lemonade stand into the shed in the backyard of the townhouse. And that week, Hurricane Agnes came up the Ohio River and flooded everything. After the floods went away, my mom opened up the, the uh, shed to see how my lemonade stand was. It was cardboard and it all melted. And she turned to me and said, you made enough money. Don't worry. And I looked at her and I said, I've never made enough money. And, you know, I don't know where that came from as five, but that's what I've always uh, thought about. So um, I got involved with real estate. Um, I was doing tax liens with my Roth IRA. And then when I really started getting involved with real estate, I, I took it on whole, wholesale and just kept going with it. I love that story. And to be five years old and tell your mom, I haven't made enough money. Like, what are you talking about? And I, I imagine your younger self was thinking, I, I made this money and I had expenses to pay. I had to give grandpa $5, the brother $5. That took away $10 for me. No, I need to go out and make more. And Exactly. Kind of <laughs> and you kind of caught that bug of, oh, let's make more money and see what we can do with it. And to have it work out so quickly. My, my, all my family, I'm a first, second and third generation American. And all my family has come to the United States and have made something of themselves. And I just want to, yeah, I, I, I think I have the entrepreneur spirit. Um, it, it's interesting because neither one of my brothers have it, but I have it. And my grandmother did all kinds of things. She did sewing. She made, she sold jam. You know, she was doing things and we used to spend summers with her. So exactly. Yeah. I love that. And it, it seems like there's entrepreneurs in every family. And I remember when I was a, a young adult, one of my friends, her husband was an entrepreneur. And I was like, well, what kind of an entrepreneur are you? Oh, I do many things. And I've met since then, I've met multi-passionate entrepreneurs. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs want multiple incomes coming in and they, you know, sometimes it works really well. Sometimes it doesn't, but you can never go wrong with real estate, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, they say 70% of Americans have a side hustle right now. So, you know, people are looking on ways to make extra money, unfortunately, because things are getting expensive. Yeah. And that too, and just, you know, getting out of the, the corporate, you know, the nine to five mindset, it's so restrictive. And I think, you know, we're, our, we're designed to play. We're not designed to work. And to be, you know, stuck, you know, in an office space, having to go somewhere every single day, especially, you know, you know, one of the benefits of COVID was we got to stay home and work from home and knowing like that commute takes a lot out of you. I mean, some people will drive an hour to work one way and that takes a toll on you. It takes away from your family time, your personal time. So, you know, why not look for a side gig? Once your lemonade stand was deteriorated, did you end up building it back up or like, you know, what did um, your year old self decide to do? We, we had to throw it away. It, it's, it was all welted. It, you know, it stinked everything else, everything in the shed. Um, the water probably came up to six inches. Thank God it didn't get into the, the townhouse. But, you know, with my mom being from Ireland, every other year uh, when I was seven, you know, my younger brother at the time was five. Every other year, 
my parents, my, my mom and my two brothers and I flew to Ireland and my dad would come over for the month of August. And I mean, the other year I would go to Pittsburgh and I just had a great childhood and, you know, we didn't live extravagantly, but my parents took care of us. We went camping. We, we, we did all kinds of things. I, I don't want to say, I, I don't know. I'm a student of uh, thinking into results from the Bob Proctor, Sandy Gallagher Institute. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm an unconscious. Um, now I'm working on it, but I always had enough money to do whatever I needed to do. If I was in college and wanted to go on a ski trip, I would do a side hustle or do something to pay for the ski trip. And, you know, now that I'm looking at what I'm doing, it's changing everything. It's making it so much better. That's awesome to have that mindset of, I have enough money coming in to do what I want to do with it. And whatever we tell ourselves is true, right? Exactly. Programming that subconscious, like, yeah, I have it. And then you figure out how to get it. Implementing a money management system is one of the key ways to do that. So as you grew up, you had this entrepreneurial mindset. What thinking about your relationship with money, you know, if money was a person, describe that relationship for us. What what was it like while you were growing up? It was interesting in, in my in my area. I, I grew up in uh, the uh, Rockville, Maryland, just outside Washington, D.C. My mom was a midwife and RN nurse. But when we were kids, she stayed at home. We had a house down the street that Vietnam refugees came from. And I was friends with one of one of the girls. We went to school together. She came over the house and on the step, there, there was a $20 bill, you know, on the it, we, it was a split level house. And she's like, wow, I've never seen a $20 bill before. So, you know, we, we were talking about, it. she goes, you just lay money lying in the steps. I'm like, oh, that's my, that's money for my mom. You know, my dad was doing that. And I never thought about it. We never, you know, some people say money that doesn't grow on trees, things like this. My parents, you know, to go to Ireland, when I graduated from high school, I had to pay for my own trip to Ireland. And I was delivering the Washington Post and I budgeted, here's how much the ticket's going to be. I, you know, my dad's like, you've got to figure out your budget and figure out how you're going to get there. And it was the best trip. It was the last summer. My grandmother was alive and I got to see her. I got to see friends and things like that. So I'm so glad my parents and I just went by ourselves. My two brothers stayed home and it was one of my best trips ever to Ireland. Yeah, that's amazing. And you paid for it yourself. <laughs> yes. So that made it even more special. So having that discipline with money saying, okay, we're, this is the income that's coming in and this is how we're going to, you know, divide you up. This is, you know, you, each of your dollars has a purpose. So I love that. Uh, by chance, did you use the money envelope system when you were growing up? I did not use the money system. Um, the first time we went, when I was seven, I had just learned math and there was a commercial in Philadelphia that said for lunch, a $250 steak, you could get a $250 steak. And my dad always took his own lunch to work. And so I'm like, okay, dad, 250 times five days. This is how much. And so I said, when I divide it by five, this is how much you owe me. He goes, must be nice. I'm paying for your ticket. It's not your money. So you know, <laughs> this concept with money, it's not a negative concept, but we we talked about money. You know, it, it was an open thing to talk about money. Some people, some of my clients, I think this is fascinating. He's got three children, a 12-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a five-year-old. And they were going to go to uh, Disney World over spring break. And he told each of the boys they had to figure out what to do. The five-year-old started a poop pickup. You know, people who have dogs in their backyard, he got paid to go pick up people's poop. And he made more money than his 12-year-old brother to go to Disney World. I'm like, wow, I wish my family talked about that. Yeah. And teaching kids at a young age is so important, you know, because it's something that Families normally don't talk about finances, and they definitely don't teach that in school. So exactly. really having that work ethic put in. The middle son, 
um, we don't have um, recycling here in the area where I live. So he was going to houses and uh, doing the recycling and taking the recycling and his mom would drive and get paid to recycle the things. I mean, some of the ideas that, you know, these young, these children figured out, I'm like, wow, how come adults aren't figuring this out? It's it's amazing what kids can think of. Yeah. They don't have as many thoughts in their heads as adults do. So when you were a kid, you had this awesome relationship with money. You knew money was going to be there for you, very secure and confident in knowing that more money was coming. Um, on its way. So that's a, that's beautiful because that's not the norm, right? Normally people are worried about it. And you had mentioned the money idiom of, you know, money doesn't grow on trees and, you know, technically it does. It's made out of paper. Uh, What other idioms did you grow up with that stand out? We knew there was money in the house, but it wasn't like a, a friend of mine in college. She goes, oh, we're going out to dinner. And I'm like, oh, that must be nice. And my mom, she she hated going to fast food restaurants or a buffet thing. Her To her, it was you sit down in a restaurant and someone brings you the food. So when I'm talking to my friend Lori, she goes, oh, dinner for us is McDonald's. I'm like, that's not going out to dinner. That's fast food. You're like that, you're, so I, you know, we had different concepts of, of that. And you know, when, when I, I answered your question, I'm like, wow, I have to think about that because I really don't know, um, it, you know an idiom. It just... Everything will work out. You know, if, if right now I'm doing real estate, um, one, one of my nieces who, who's 23 years old, she had a medical situation and I was able to send her $4,000 you know, to help her. And she's like, wow. And she goes, do I have to pay you back? I'm like, Kayla, this is just for you. You know, don't, don't worry about it. But if I can help a family member in a situation, like she had a high deductible for her health insurance, she couldn't meet, meet it, but she needed to do something. And I'm like, Get it, get it taken care of. You know, your health is more important than than the money or anything else. Yes. And it's so, it's such a great blessing to be able to help others that way and not worry about it. Like, here's a gift. I get to get this. So having that, that security with money, having that relationship is beautiful. So with your business, so you got into the real estate. Tell us how you got into doing the trust and the estate planning. I was in the Phoenix office. There's different locations throughout the country, but it's a nationwide real estate group called Renatus. In Renatus, there is an instructor, Garrett Gunderson. He wrote a book called What the Rockefellers Do. Had to change the title. It's now called What Billionaires Do. I had read the book before I joined the real estate group. The Rockefellers Trust, they call it the office. It's seven generations old. It has almost 400 people in it. When I bought this $20,000 property in July, I had 13 months to figure this out. You know, making $30,000 without lifting a hammer, to me, that's dream. Uh, that, that's exactly what I want to do. But I also knew $30,000 in profit would be $7,100 to the federal government in 2021, but April 15th, 2022, you know, a year later. So I went through the book. I started scouring it. My background, I'm an insurance agent and also competitive intelligence. So I started researching things, calling people, everything else. I found a law firm in, in Houston that has the patent on this trust. It's the Benson Financial Patent. Uh, Paul Benson was Harvard Law professor. He wrote the patent. This trust comes from England back when King Henry VIII got in trouble for chopping off his wife's heads. It's contract law. A law firm I work with has inherited a trust that is turning 350 years old in 2023. So it's legal patent in the IRS tax code, and it's going to save you federal taxes, Keep your information private. So LLCs, S-Corps, and C-Corps, don't keep your information private. And it's going to keep you from paying any judgments if you get sued. When I found out about it, um, it's you know 97% of the trust in the United States 
are what's called a family trust. My parents had it. Susie Orman talks about it on TV. It's only designed to avoid going through probate when someone dies and dissolves. That's what my parents had. That's what I'm dealing with now. This trust is generation uh, inheritance, generation to generation. I I had money from my real estate deals. I it was I had paid paid up in front, and with my uh, house in uh, Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Thirteen months later, I bought it in July, August twenty eighth, two thousand twenty one. It went to auction. It went up to sixty four thousand dollars. So yay, Sally! I made forty four thousand dollars. But more importantly, because it was in the trust, I saved ten thousand five hundred and fifty dollars. And now, when I do my real estate, all of it goes into the trust. And I'm not trying to crow, but I have saved over $100,000 in capital gains. And then I have notes which are where I'm in the mortgage on the house and people pay me their mortgage. I have saved over $50,000 on just my interest income too. So I started teaching it in my uh, real estate mastermind class. You know, other real estate agents, uh, other real estate investors need to know about this. And I'm also working with business brokers because most Americans don't realize when you sell a business, um, I don't care if it's an Amazon store or a car wash, you're going to pay 15% or 20% on the sale. It doesn't matter if you have debt, doesn't matter if you have a loan against it, if you have a lien against it, just the sale price, you're going to pay the federal government on that. But if the Rockefellers and US presidents and OJ Simpson know about this, why don't you and I know about this? I mean, it's in the tax code. We should all know about this. Yeah. And anyway, you can save money is a plus. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So if you think about how many times the dollar is taxed as it exchanges hands, it's like crazy. And I even to think about how many times a dollar is taxed is just, I mean, it, it, it could go beyond the imagination, right? As far as trying to calculate that every single time it exchanges hands and you buy something. So I'm- I've seen a video, you know, you've got gas tax, you've got food tax. You know, I went to the movies this weekend. There's movie tax. There's food tax on the food you're buying at the movies. I mean, just everything you're being taxed on. And, you know, it's state tax, it's uh, county tax, it's, it's uh, federal tax. If it, how I have it set up, I moved to North Carolina in March of 2022. Um, I have everything in the trust and I don't have to pay and I didn't pay North Carolina state taxes. I only pay a 1041 federal tax. That's amazing. When you when you you obviously want to hire an attorney that specializes in this because of the complexity of the nature of the of the instrument itself. So is this something that people do state by state? This is on the federal level. It's contract law. The law firm I work on is a private law firm. If you call them, they're like, we don't know what you're talking about, unfortunately. Uh, With the law firm, there's trust attorneys that specialize in this. It is a very specialized trust. It's been around for at least 350 years. It's never been audited. But the attorneys say, if something happens with the IRS, they will represent you free of charge. It is as legal as legal can be. And if people are interested in finding out more about trust, there's a very good book called Scott and Asher. On trust, uh, that's plural, fifth edition. Um, I was telling you, Lisa, a story about the CPA. You know, one of my uh, clients who came on a Monday night, I do a Q&A. He's got real estate up in the Bronx. He went to a CPA. We got on a Zoom with the CPA. And he's like, this, this isn't true. I gave him the recommendation. A week later, the CPA reached out to me again. He's like, 
I didn't know about this. I've got clients. I need to do this. And I do have a JV agreement. You know, it's they're his clients, but I want to help his clients because I want to help people. If I found out this information, I want other people to know it because it can help so many people. Yeah. And who would this trust be for? I'm going to be honest. It's a little bit expensive. It's $20,500 upfront for 1099 income earners. I suggest to be making at least $70,000 for real estate investors. Just to give you an idea, if you're wholesaling like a fix and flip, $50,000, you will automatically pay $13,900 to the uh, to the federal government. So last night on my uh, on my Monday night Zoom, I'm talking to a gentleman who's in uh, Michigan who plans to do four wholesale deals in 2023. He's got them all lined up. He He's going to sell one of his uh, wholesale deals at the end of this month. He'll uh, get the EIN number in a letter to take to the bank. He won't have to pay for the trust until he uh, closes on June 30th, but he'll then pay for the trust uh, from the wholesale deal. And then his other four wholesale deals he's got lined up, he's going to change the uh, paperwork to put it in the trust and save the capital gains on that. He's going to probably save over $60,000 in 2023 with what he has lined up right now. And that's a beautiful shelter. (laughs) Exactly. Tax shelter. And as our, I mean, I'm very familiar with trust, but our audience is probably like, what are you talking about? I don't <laughs> understand any of this, you know, and being financial, financially literate is, is really important when you're managing money, you know, and so we all say we want to make six or seven figures, but then when it comes to managing it and investing in it, um, gathering all the facts, doing your homework, connecting with experts and knowing that they're experts, asking them the right questions that help you decipher. I mean, your intuition tells you like, yeah, you know what you're talking about. I can trust you, but you really want to do that. You don't want to do something like this on the whim. And you really want to know if it's a good avenue for you to invest in and what's the ROI, right? And as you know, Sally has says, it's generational. So this is something that's going to go on uh, beyond the seventh generation um, done properly with going into the hands with people that understand how it is. I, I've seen so many trusts go down to zero because the controllers of the trust just, you know, go through the money like it's water. It's just ridiculous. You know, they'll get a credit card, debit card associated with the trust and swipe, swipe, swipe all day long. Um, so with this avenue, how like for somebody who does want to leave generational wealth, you know, we talk about leaving legacies, building these beautiful legacies. Um, what's the what's the protection and the trust from you know, when it passes on a generation that it doesn't get depleted by an irresponsible party. Correct. The the trust or trustees will be in control on how the money is dispersed. So I am the trustee for my family. Um, my brothers, my sister-in-laws, my nine nieces and nephews are in it. Um, I have clients who have, um, one of my clients has a daughter who unfortunately is bedridden. She was misdiagnosed. So she she's a real estate investor. She's setting up a special account for her daughter Crystal, her her son John is not you know he'll he'll inherit some of the, some of the information, but if something happens to my client Veronica, she wants to make sure Crystal's taken care of the entire time. You know, um, her, I've talked to John and uh, John explaining what's happening, and he's like, "That's fine, you know, as long as I can have, you know, I don't have to pay for the nurses. Make sure my my sister's taken care of. I I'm okay with doing this, and you know." Not to wish Crystal ill will, but when she passes away, any money that's left in this would then go to John and then his his wife and his children too. So you can make these very specific rules, make, you know, 
whoever's a trustee or trustees has control to make the rules. Yeah. So the chucks can get really complex with the, you know, the do's and the don'ts and, you know, this is what we can do and and having these stipulations, which is good because it protects future family members from depleting the funds irresponsibly. Like I said, you know, for anyone listening, this is a very complicated um, trust. It's not something like you just, oh yeah, let's do it. It's a great idea to avoid taxes. You really need to get in there and understand all the, the ins and outs, anything to do with estate planning, trust, insurance. It's all very complicated. And unless you know the, you know, who to ask, what questions, what to even Google. Cause I know a lot of you are like, well, I'm just going to go Google this. Just know that this, the laws, I mean, there's the federal law, but then their state has their own laws as well. So, you know, you have to go through all these different laws to decipher all of that. So really know what your intent is. What's the end result? If you do decide to filter your money through a trust, how is this going to help you? And yes, you are saving money from taxes, but what are you giving up? Because everything, you know, is, is helps you in one way and then limits in you in, in another way. So again, just be sure to gather all the facts. So when you think about your um, personal uh, money story, Sally, and you think about how far you've come, is there anything that you would do differently with the money that you've been receiving throughout your life? I would have started real estate investing way before 53. Um, it just, there, there's so many different avenues to do real estate investing. It's, it's an amazing thing. And, you know, I wish, I wish I had, I, I was involved in something back in 2007 where I used credit cards to get into a real estate, uh, real estate, uh, thing. And a friend of mine, the two of us were in together and you're an insurance agent. We're living in Phoenix and we had a 15 minute phone conversation about we should have we should get insurance part of thing on the gentleman. And she met him. He was all red faced and everything else. We did nothing. And three weeks later, he died of a massive heart attack and we lost all our money. And I'm like, I'm an insurance agent. How did I let that go? You know, just, you know, should have, would have, uh, you, you can't look back but you only can keep going forward. No regrets. Exactly. <laughs> and no regrets. Always thinking and planning and, and making making a strategic plan so that you can have that security blanket and all of that. So what um, when you work with the real estate agents, when you're, or the investors rather, um, you have a class. Tell us about your program. Okay. Um, I have changed my website. Uh, when you go out to the website, instead of just giving someone the slide deck, I have an 18 minute video going over the slide deck to teach them what the Spendthrift Trust is because no, so few people have heard about this. This is for the ultimate rich. Um, I, they can set up an appointment with me, a one-on-one Zoom, or on Monday nights, 8 p.m. East Coast time, I do a Q&A, I'll go over the slide deck and then open up for questions. So what are some words of wisdom you can share with our audience? My, 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 I, this sounds funny, but my pearl of wisdom just do it. Just start and just do it. Because if you don't do it now, when will you? So, well, thank you for sharing your expertise and your story. Um, And for those of you listening in, check the show notes for the links for the slide deck. If you have any questions, book a call. And please, if you really want to consider doing this, you definitely want to get on a call and gather the facts because this is way too complicated to try to figure out on your own. Save your time. Your time is money. And remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's what you do with it. 
Hey, hey, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to rate the show. Give us some love. We would love your review. And remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's what you do with it. And some words of advice, pay yourself first. Are you ready to partner with money? Go check out the money dating game at idatemoney.com and choose your partner. We hope you always get the date you want.